The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. Welcome. I believe this is year four. We are here today with Janelle Riley from Variety Magazine and also one of my closest friends in the whole world. Thanks for coming on the show, Janelle. Oof, this is awkward because I don't really consider you in my closest circle. Um, um, yeah. But, but uh, one of my favorite no. acquaintances. Harsh. I'm sad. No, that's not that's... true. Remember, I called you my best friend once. You did. And, you I, did. and again, your wife won't let me live that down. 17 at, years at, ago. And now? It, <laughs> no, it was, it was at the screening for Nightcrawler yes. with the director. Ben had a question in the audience and I was like, oh, that's my best friend. It was ben, very nice. I have to call on him. Yeah. <laughs> ben is still sailing on that. He's still sailing on that best friend comment. He <laughs> mentioned it to me cool. right before we started recording here. He's so. still sailing on meeting Dan Gilroy <laughs> that night, I think. That was cool. Actually, you introducing me to Sparks is still like oh, uh, up in the top 10 moments of my entire life. Mm. I love them so much. You introduced me to Christopher Nolan. You introduced me to David Fincher. And that was awesome, but Sparks is like the, uh, the wait a second. Top. And you and, and you know who didn't even make your top three was Steven Spielberg. I happen to know Janelle also introduced and you to Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> That's true. Oh yes. man, I'm so busted. <laughs> wow. No, it's just you know what's funny is I forgot you were there with David Fincher and we rode in a creepy elevator with him. That was super weird. Yeah. That's the thing. Like the Spielberg thing was like a shit my pants moment. Like I, I touched his velvety genius hand <laughs> and shook it and just sat there and listened to him talk and, you know, bask in the glory of probably the most significant American director of all time. But still, Sparks is like, those guys are awesome. I just, I just cool. love Sparks. And you guys talked a long time, too. We did. We did. Jesse Merlin, our friend Jesse Merlin was in the audience and he didn't even approach us. I'm like, Jesse, you should have come down. And he's as much of a Sparks nerd as I am, if not more. Anyway, but we're not here to talk about Sparks. We're Why here to aren't talk, we here to talk about Sparks? I would love to talk. I could talk about them all day. They have I, can, I can actually out. tie they this just, all together. They have Kate Blanchett in their yeah. new video. In their new video, yeah. Kate Blanchett of TAR. So let's use that as a segue. And we're going to talk about the best cinematography nominees for 2023. It's actually a pretty interesting class of cinematographers because there's really only one previous winner in the whole group. Mm. And that's obviously Roger Deakins for Empire of Light. But the list is All Quiet on the Western Front, James Friend, Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths, Darius Kanji, Elvis, Mandy Walker, Empire of Light, Roger Deakins, and Tar, Florian Hoffmeister. And Janelle, you suggested we wait till after the ASC Awards, and I'm very glad you did. Me too. Me three. Because history was made. Mandy Walker, the first woman to win at ASC, now could be the first woman to win yeah. in this category at the Academy Awards. It's a big I boost. think it's going to happen. For sure. I think it, it very well could happen. It very well could happen. And, you know, Mandy Walker's been on the show. She's awesome. She's been doing amazing work for a long time. And it's her first nomination. Wow. And the, the two things that she needs to win, really, everything everywhere all at once is not nominated in this category, which is crazy to me. I have been saying from the like from the moment I saw that, I was like, this needs to win all the Oscars. And you can't complain about how many it's been nominated for. But Larkin Seipel, the DP, was robbed, in my what, opinion. What do you think happened there? I mean, they nominated everywhere else. And the cinematography is brilliant. I don't know if maybe it's that Larkin is on the young side for a cinematographer. So, you know, like maybe the next thing he does with the Daniels, he'll get nominated. I don't know what he needs to do because that movie looks amazing. 
It's it's insane to me. I mean, not that all these nominees aren't deserving, no, but like, you, yeah. I, I mean, I couldn't say that there's one in here that I would say like, oh well, you know, clearly lose that one because they're all great. But I, I do think that uh, everything is everywhere Deacons, all though is he really all that? <laughs> He's like a 13-time loser. I think he, he uh, was nominated a lot of times and a lot of times didn't win. So, you know, the odds are still... Yeah, Probably. he's a bigger loser than winner he if is. you think about it. But but, yeah. but he's the only one on this list who's ever won before. Mm. And in fact, Darius Kanji, I think, is the only other one who has been nominated before. He was nominated in 1997 for Avita. Wow. First of all, I didn't know Avita was nominated for Best Cinematography, so that's a new one. But secondly, I didn't know that he did that. Yeah, so if there's somebody else on this list, I'm not necessarily pushing for anyone in particular because, again, everything, everywhere, all at once would have been my choice all along. But I got to say, Darius Kanji is sometimes the Oscars are like a, a lifetime achievement award, and somebody who's done amazing work for years and years and years. Darius Kanji is one of those people who I can't believe the man doesn't have a statue already. He's so amazing i'd like to retroactively give him one for seven which might be the most copied movie style mm -hmm. ever ever done it's possible and by the way bardo is i really enjoyed bardo i know a lot of people are mixed on it but i thought it was beautiful i thought he did a wonderful job here's what i'll say about bardo i'm not the world's biggest in your fan i don't dislike it, his movies but he's not my favorite i don't always go with him on his journey as readily as i would say guillermo del toro one of his good friends but i thought in terms of design and construction of shots bardo might be the best out of this group i understand the love for mandy walker and i think elvis is a gorgeous looking film i think that the look of it is the best thing it has going for it but man bardo is just like bonkers the the design of the shots the, the kind of surrealism absurdism the the complexity when you look at it like how hard it was to pull stuff off and i'm not saying all quiet on the western front couldn't say a lot of the same things it's not surreal but it's like complex but I, you got to include like, you got to include tar in that though as well too because tar you know it's the other end of the spectrum it's realism it's super super realism and it's, it's and it's not, restrained absolutely but it's like the way those shots are put together all throughout that all the high angle shots that the the uh, musicians entering the stage and all mm. kinds of the the drama the low angle shots as as you know she's conducting it's like there's so much stuff that kind of goes back and forth and just I got to say that you know I think tar absolutely deserves to be there and if you want to talk about a you know Maybe something that is uh, more subtle, but equally as beautiful. I, th I think you have to, I could watch that whole movie muted and, and have an incredible experience. The other thing Mandy Walker, I think, needed in order to make history is the movie needed to be a big crowd pleaser. Mm. And I'm telling you, this movie has been on HBO Max for some time now. People still show up to screenings of this movie. They are packed. They're the busiest screenings I've ever seen. People really? love this movie. They love watching it on the big screen. And not, not just the Q&As where Austin Butler is in attendance. Hmm. Like my friend does a lot of tech and below the line Q&As for this movie. And she says the audiences are still packing them in. Wow. People really love Elvis, the movie. Yeah. Well, and, and the guy. Yeah. Um, He's a little popular. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. we talked to Mandy Walker. We talked to her right after COVID hit. And she was one of the she was in a show that was shut down. Elvis yeah. was shut down because of COVID, because Tom Hanks got COVID. Yep. And so when we talked to her, it was right at that time. So we didn't really talk about Elvis, but she had done a lot of work with Baz Luhrmann. And Baz Luhrmann is one of those directors where you kind of, I watch his stuff and I'm like, I love the way he puts together a scene in a sequence. 
and it's like the whole movie feels like it's going at the pace of a trailer. Like it's just cramming and cramming and cramming. And there's, it just never lets go. And we talk a little bit about how she works with him and like that process of creating that stuff. So I, I would recommend anyone who's interested to go back and listen to it. Unfortunately, we don't have an interview with her about Elvis specifically. But I, I do think that people like Inuritu and Baz Luhrmann have like such a specific uh, approach to the way they do scene work and the way they the way they construct a sequence that it's it's interesting to hear from their cinematographers how they I mean imagine being a cinematographer and you're given you're given Elvis what how would you look at that script and say oh here's how we'll do it you know knowing of course that Baz Luhrmann is going to direct it I thought she did a beautiful job on Mulan also Agreed. a couple of years ago and Hidden Figures another best picture nominee that she wasn't nominated for and I really thought she should have been so I actually feel like we should kind of address the elephant in the room, too, which is, and, and you brought it up, Janelle, no woman has ever won the Best Cinematography Award. And, and only three I, have been nominated. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I thought Rachel Morrison was going to go for it. And I was kind of surprised that she didn't get it. Lost to Roger Deakins to, uh, I believe, uh, Blade Runner 2049. Beat. I think people didn't really like her film. They yeah. liked her and they, rec- they, they, they really respected it, but there wasn't that love for the movie that it needed. Yeah, and if uh, Black Panther had been nominated, maybe she would have. I am actually shocked she wasn't nominated for Black Panther, and I think she should have won. I thought I thought that last year Ari Wagner was going to take it for Power of the Dog. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and also, actually, speaking of comic book stuff, another notable omission here to me is Greg Fraser for the Batman, which maybe owes a lot to Darius Kanji in Seven. Yeah. But you know, he won last year for Dune, and I was kind of like, I thought the cinematography of the Batman was one of the best. I mean, I really liked that movie, but the cinematography was one of the most striking things about it. And you know, for a comic book movie, it was very dark and risky, even for Batman. I think it might have been too dark, is the issue. Yeah. <laughs> Greg Fraser won last year for Dune cinematography. That's who beat Ari Wagner. I couldn't remember. But I was actually surprised she didn't win last year. I thought if it was going to happen, it was going to happen last year. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's kind of a shame in our industry that a woman has never won ever. I mean, shocking. And in fact, all three of the women nominated have been nominated within, what, the last five years? Yeah, because Mudbound, right, was Rachel Mm -hmm. Morrison's nomination. And that was a 2017 film? Yeah, I believe she was the first woman ever nominated. We uh, We had just done the interview with her like two weeks before she got nominated. And that was when I was still editing them. So it would take like six months. And Illy was like, you got to get that out right now, man. Yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah, Rachel's amazing. We should probably mention some of the other movies that were before the nominations came out, sort of front runners. I kept hearing people talk about Top Gun. Top Gun was going to get nominated for cinematography. Yeah. A and, surprising omission, honestly. And Claudio Miranda, the he won, of course, for Life of Pi. And he has the incredible flight sequences, which, you know, almost all of that sort of stuff, all the main stuff, that's real. That's not like, you know, that's not just a couple of like, you know, CG planes flying through the sky. They do a tremendous amount of actual plane work. And uh, yeah. it's another one that's just you know sort of fallen by the wayside now and i don't i don't hear people talk about it the way they did like three months ago but for a while it's that that seemed to be the front shocking runner. Yeah. Yeah. how few of the best picture nominees were nominated for I, I mean i think i think it's only elvis okay elvis tar and all quiet on the western front but like banshees of inisherin yeah fablemans oh, yeah. which looks great Incredible. Yeah. banshees of inisherin i think also belongs on this i mean i agree I, I, I think that we actually had kind of a an embarrassment of riches of movies and it's like a diversity of styles a diversity of approaches 
you know, the Banshees of Inisherin maybe in, in a sense is a little bit like Tar in that it's restrained. It's not showy in its cinematography, but it doesn't make it any less beautiful. No Avatar, as we've already said, no everything, everywhere, all at once. No Triangle of Sadness. Yeah. Kind of surprised me. Yeah. Really interesting well, to me. Maybe the bar has been risen so high now for cinematography. I, I don't know. It's like maybe there needs to be more nominees in this category. And I will say this about Empire of Light. Uh, Roger Deakins is incapable of filming a movie that doesn't look amazing. Yeah. But, uh, and it, maybe this is more about the movie itself. Not a bad movie, a perfectly good movie, but like not a movie in which the cinematography feels like a star of it. And even though you could probably say the same thing about Tar, there's something about about the minimalism. I don't know if that's the exact word, but like. I think that is the exact word. It's a yeah. minimalist movie for sure. When they actually the they had some beautiful for your consideration ads for Empire of Light that picked very specific shots, like when they're on the roof and the fireworks are going off and, you know, sort of. And also, I just think the, the title Empire of Light and Roger <laughs> well, Deakins' name and, know. you know, the love well, of and, cinema. And, and by no means am I dissing Roger Deakins no, at all. No, of course all. not. You know, like he's one of the best who ever lived. And I'm not even saying like 1917, obviously, is like a movie that smacks of way more like a, a very specific approach had to be taken to make that movie work. And it's like a magic trick that it works. And so uh, not the, nothing against Empire of Light. It's just a damn fine, really good looking movie, you know, whereas a lot of these other ones, All Quiet on the Western Front is amazing. But like Stunning. I have seen other war movies on par with it. They were all Oscar caliber movies like Saving Private Ryan or, or 1917. And maybe this is why my, my eye keeps going to Bardo. And I don't know, I'm, I may live to eat these words, but it's like one, I can't believe Darius Conchie's never won an Oscar. He's, he's done so with everyone, all the greats. And he's a friggin' chameleon. Like he doesn't have a specific that like he goes from seven to doing the beach with Danny Boyle. Like, you know, his stuff is so different looking and just gorgeous. And it's interesting to see him work with Inuritu and kind of apply that style, very wide angle lens, but also like deeply surreal. Person I'm a little surprised not to see here, even though I know the movie wasn't totally embraced from Babylon, is Lena Sandgren. Mm. Yeah. Um, previous winner. I thought whatever issues people have with Babylon, the below the line talent, they at least respected. It. it got nominated, you know, in a few categories. And yeah. I thought I thought he did an amazing job. I do think Babylon kind of got a short shrift. And to a degree, I understand that it doesn't quite fit perfectly into a category. Although it, what's interesting to me about Babylon is like the Oscars love movies about movies. I mean, frankly, Empire of Light is a movie's about cinema or mm -hmm. takes place largely in cinema but it's about loving cinema and babylon is not a love letter it's like a poison pen <laughs> i guess and a by, bit. by the way i'm saying this is a person who really likes babylon yeah you know? I, I feel like i've spent a lot of time defending it i was not prepared when i went to the screening and i think i messaged you about this at the time you know like i had no idea it was three hours and nine minutes That's long the other thing it's yeah it's too long i mean it should have been a mini series in some ways yeah but I mean, there was so much to like in that and it yeah. looked so great. We we talked to Linus right after, you know, right after I saw it. And it's some pretty strong work, but also Babylon got press for flopping and that, you know, maybe kind of killed it in regards to getting lots of Oscar nominations, even though again, it also came out really late and it came with a lot of hype and expectation and almost some, t I, you know, maybe sort of this feeling that. Damien Chazelle needed to be taken down a peg to a certain degree. I'd say it's my mm. favorite film that he's made since Whiplash. 
And there's a scene in it that I can't shut up about, which is like uh, where they're trying to film with sound for the first time. Oh, yeah. And and the first AD loses his mind. And it's just so funny. That's my friend PJ. Is it? (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, that scene and that sequence to me is just is just brilliant. I mean, we probably should have done a sidebar about like what were the films that we would have liked to have seen get nominated because I feel like there are several. Although I I don't know if we all agree. Everything everywhere all at once to me. Like, Ilya, do you feel like I feel like so confused? I mean, they even nominated the song from it. Yeah, they love the movie. Well, to that, I would say, like, look for Larkin Seipel to get nominated for the next noteworthy thing he does that he shoots that gets a lot of press or something. Like, I feel like he's got to be on the radar. Also, like, I feel like the Daniels just took a massive step towards mainstream success that people who do work as creative as what they do. People rarely see somebody outside of like David Lynch get the level of success that they are getting with this. Yeah. And and they weren't trying to be mainstream. That's that's what part of what I love about it. Yeah. Also, Larkin shot to Leslie, a very, you know, a very different, very beautifully shot movie that came out last year as well. You know, I'm actually a little surprised that Hoyta van Hoytma didn't uh, get a little bit more attention for Nope. And especially since there is a cinematographer you yes. know, character in the movie. Yeah. Well, Nope yeah. Nope also got shafted in the visual effects category. Nope just uh, got shafted completely. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who uh, I remember on Twitter, not that I should be taking Twitter that seriously, but people were like freaking out that it didn't get a lot of Oscar love. And I was like, are you aware of Oscars and horror movies? Like, yeah, the Oscars notoriously don't like every once in like the fact that Get Out got all the love that it got is such an outlier. The only other one I can think of is like The Silence of the Lambs. It, it doesn't surprise me when when the Academy just ignores a genre film, not just horror horror sci-fi fantasy like it's more unusual when they do acknowledge those movies especially with that sci-fi or supernatural bent because Mm -hmm. like i I consider silence of the lambs to be you know a thriller because it is very realistic yeah yeah and the second you start introducing supernatural elements i think voters kind of go like oh nope that's that's in the fun category that's not you know yeah we're here for serious stuff yes exactly (laughs) like yeah, like Bardo. Bardo is just such a bonkers movie. It's very impressive to me that it, it's in this category. It's not surprising because Inuritu is anything he makes is going to get Oscar attention at least. Yeah, although I'm surprised this one didn't do better because it has a wonderful lead performance mm-hmm. and like a lot. It, it didn't even break into the uh, international film category. So let's put our money on the table. I'll start with you, Ilya. Who do you think is going to win? Hmm. I think I got to go with Mandy Walker. I think I got to say Elvis, I think, is is going to win. I think coming out of the win at the ASC, uh, I think there's some heat and momentum behind her. I think she wins it. Well, let me ask you, the winner was already chosen before the ASC Awards. Like the winner of whoever won the Oscar is already determined No, 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 they're still voting through Tuesday. Oh, okay. So so winning the ASC Award could actually have an an influence, right? Yeah. Hmm, Interesting. Okay, that might change my... And I think seeing the reaction of like, well, first of all, the seal of approval that the ASC has signed off on Mandy Walker, because, again, Elvis is so entertaining, you almost feel guilty. For, for, <laughs> for, um, God damn also, it, this should be torture. Right? I should be, I should be tortured watching all of these Oscar movies. So, Janelle, who do you think uh, goes I home with the Oscar? I have to go with Mandy Walker. I mean, the only person that I, I could even maybe even make an argument for, I don't even know if there is an argument to be made. It would be dumb to go against Mandy Walker and, frankly, sexist. 
<laughs> so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be both dumb and sexist. You're doing, Ooh. You're doing it. Ooh, well, I, I'm gonna, I can't wait. I'm, I'm saying Darius Kanji wins. That because, was who I was gonna uh, say. Yeah. Well, actually, the person is all quiet on the Western Front because there is obviously mm. James Friend, a deep, yeah. quiet love for this movie because mm-hmm. it keeps showing up and it won BAFTA and you know BAFTA actually shares overlap with Oscars and it is a beautiful looking film. Oh yeah. And it's you know it's the I don't want to say easy choice, but like. Look at it. It's a sprawling epic and it's beautiful and it's a war film. You know, it, it'd be very easy to see that one winning. But I, I got to stick with Mandy. I think you're both right. I think Mandy probably will win. And I am absolutely not voting against Mandy. I just think Darius Kanji is someone who has been in the he has been shooting amazing movies for like 30 years. And maybe this isn't his time. And I do think it's important for a woman to win. But I'm just going to hedge my bet and say Darius gets the gold. I want to. I, I want mean, to see. I want to see him win sometime. I would have no objection to that. He did an amazing job. Same with James Friend. I mean, yeah. like I said, all of them are brilliant. But all of them are brilliant. I mean, like I'm not going to say I would be disappointed if Roger Deakins won. I just think that cinematography-wise, it's not like I don't put it on a pedestal with Blade Runner 2049 or 1917 or any of the other movies he made that have a year in the title or any of this any of the amazing work he did with the Coen Brothers. Yeah, um, I think he's there because he's Roger Deakins. Nothing wrong with that. Give me all the Roger Deakins movies ever. He's never made a movie that looked bad. I think it's interesting that none of us, though, said that he was our pick. None of us said, like, oh, no, he's going to go for the uh, his third Oscar win here. So should he really be there compared to some of the other people that we talked about who weren't there? Yeah, You're shaking your head at me. So you, you think he should? 100 percent? I mean, I think he's deserving because he did a brilliant job. But would he be there if he wasn't? Roger Deakins? Probably not. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I actually don't, it's not the fault of him as a cinematographer or the fault of the cinematography in the movie. I don't think Empire of Light is, it's great. (laughs) We're splitting hairs about the best of the best of the best. But if you said to me, without knowing who the DP was, watch Empire of Light, watch Everything Everywhere all at once. Which of these should be nominated for Best Cinematography? Everything Everywhere would definitely steal it for me. Or, you know, when we talked to Russell Carpenter about Avatar 2, it's like the process of cinematography was just exploded into a million pieces and he had to manage each piece. Like the job of being the cinematographer on Avatar 2 is so much more complicated than being a, cin- a cinematographer on any other movie that's ever been made before. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. There's, There is one movie I wonder if you think I, I would like to know what you, you thought of the cinematography, and that's Doubt. The John Patrick Shanley adaptation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from, from several years ago. Yes. Yeah, I was yeah, like, Philip was there a new, I, I yeah. had a moment of like, was there a new movie called Doubt? No, um, there were quite a few people who did not like the way that was shot. I think people's objections were more with the direction than the filming, if that makes sense. I think it, I, it could, I think maybe John Patrick Shanley directed one movie before, but it's, it's a very static film. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being static. It's something that, like, actually a lot of times when we have uh, DPs on here, they kind of brag about it, you know, because I think that there's a push from producers often to have kind of superficial movement. You know, the the CSI Miami-fication of cinematography where it's like shoot everything from, you know, two dollies that are moving in opposite directions. And so... We've had more than one DP on here, including people who who shoot a lot of TV, who take pride in like instead of having lots of extra movement, like find the perfect frame. Or I I think a little bit about like uh, David Fincher's Zodiac, which, you know, like I think of David Fincher's early work as being very kinetic. And Zodiac was the first time I saw a David Fincher movie where it's like he didn't really have the camera move unless it was necessary. 
And so I don't uh, Deacon shot doubt. I don't remember it well enough, like the the cinematography. I mean, it came out in two thousand eight. I just looked it up. So uh, I mean, I, I definitely saw it. Saw it in the theater. I remember loving it. John Patrick Shanley is a famous theater, uh, you know, playwright. I wish I had a better well, answer. If we're going back through like what we think are Roger Deacon's misses here, <laughs> um, look, oh, no. I, I actually I, I thought oh. I thought doubt doubt looked pretty good. I thought doubt doubt certainly look it looked it looked better than pretty good. I think that you're right. He doesn't have a bad looking movie, but and we got to go back a long way for this. But 1996 was Courage Under Fire. Do you remember Courage Under Fire? Is it Denzel Washington? I, I do remember it's a, it. It's a great movie, Meg Ryan. But yeah. like. Do you think of it as a Roger Deakins movie? Do you think of it as like when you uh, when you say that it, it makes sense that it's a Roger Deakins movie, but I wouldn't know. Same with them um, in the Valley of Ella, yeah. which is a movie that I weirdly think about a lot. Like oh, I just I just I was just thinking about it the other day, and I happened to look it up and see it was Roger Deakins. I was like, that makes sense, but I wouldn't have known that. By the way, so, he did three movies that year. That was the same year he did Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford and No Country for Old Men. And the assassination of Jesse James, the reason to watch that movie is his cinematography is just stunning. It's like some of the best ever. Like I, I remember in the early-ish, it was like the early to mid-90s, he did Shawshank Redemption and Dead Man Walking and the Hudsucker Proxy all within oh, yeah. like a year or two of each other. Yep. And none of them none of them look the same. And you know, Secret he, Garden. Yeah. Yeah. Holy crap. I mean, The Shawshank Redemption is a movie that wasn't really appreciated at its time for the genius level work that was going on in it. But that was a movie that, in my opinion, fired on every cylinder. Great script, great directing, great casting and cinematography right at the center of it. There, there, I would hang any frame of that on my wall. That movie is so great looking. I think that there's a period of time and you just you just named off this very, very good time for Deacon's movies. But if you if you Look, I'd say between probably like 2009 and 2012, though, and these are not necessarily all the biggest movies that he's known for, but, you know, Skyfall does fall in there, but In oh Time was right before that. Uh, I, I love that he was the cinematography consultant for Rango. Rango <laughs> is is brilliant and looks amazing, too. Uh, True Grit, yeah. uh, A Serious Man, and even Revolutionary Road, which is also incredibly is a and wonderful Sicario. movie. And yeah, Well, that was a little later. It's like uh, 2015. Yeah, a little later. But yeah, you're right. It's just going to turn into a Roger Deakins. Yeah, I don't cast. know. I don't know that uh, we're ever going to get uh, Roger <laughs> Deakins on the on the podcast. But I mean, like, our love for him is unending, and I feel like it's important to say that. Like, I'm not casting aspersions on Empire of Light. It's just it doesn't. It wasn't live with 1917. Me. I know. That's I know what you're saying. I mean, it's like how do you follow 1917 though? Too. That's incredible. You yeah. want to hear something funny? Um, if you Google Roger Deakins, one of the first things that comes up is why is Roger Deakins so good? <laughs> hmm. It's a good question. Well, Cole, I think we've taken about a, as much of your time as as uh, well. I could take some more of your time, but uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, before yeah, you we know, go, you, you look totally uh, awake right now. We should, we should <laughs> you, let's see how late we can keep her up. Well, I was kind of hoping, not hoping, but um, uh, my grandma might have passed away while we we're doing this podcast, and I was just going to do torture Ben by saying like, "You've taken so long, my grandma actually died." <laughs> oh my god. Because we wow. have very dark senses of humor. Oh Janelle, I, I, yeah, I, I love you, but wow, you really, really went, you went there just now with yeah. that joke. Like, I don't but, know anyone whose grandmother was on their deathbed and they actually were able to turn it they, into, a, into a joke during a podcast like this. This is pretty turned incredible. off the machine about an hour ago and she is, as of my last text, still with us. So uh, it kind oh, of ruins man. the, yeah. I mean, I'm happy for that, I guess, but it kind of ruins the joke. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I, I hope she's she had 103. A really... Everyone, she had a she great lived run. a very okay. good life. Oh my god, that's incredible! Wow. And well, and, uh, and thank you for making our Oscar episode bittersweet. So <laughs> so before we go though, uh, where can uh, people find you online if they want to check out oh, your whatever? you know I'm on all the platforms, Instagram and Twitter at Janelle Riley, spelled J E N E L L E R I L E Y. Is your um, Halloween picture up there on Instagram? Can we find that? Of course it is. I, I actually right. did my first and I think only TikTok. Because I didn't what? know how to lay, I probably actually asked Ben to do it for me and he was too busy because it was Halloween. But uh, I was trying to lay audio from everything everywhere all at once over this clip. And the only way I knew how to do it was on TikTok. So my first and only TikTok uh, is, <laughs> I, is. I still have yet to do there. my first TikTok. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, uh, as always, thank you for coming on and uh, we will see you next year, if not before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. This has been the Cinematography Podcast, presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens, or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.